Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Black Woman's Hour. Here is my trusty sidekick as usual, Aisha. Well done, Hi Aisha. Hi everyone. Who did the booking today and last week and she's doing really well on it. So how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a good time for us at the moment. Nice sunny day, lots of wind, no sea swimming today though for me. So I am an unhappy bunny in many Sorry, ways. Guys. <laughs> You okay, Emma? How come? What's the weather like where you are? So the we have big high winds, which means the sea is um, really, really choppy. And although I am relatively brave and I have learned to acclimatise to the temperatures, I am a bit of a scaredy cat when it comes to just getting smashed over <laughs> repeatedly by the waves. And you don't get any swimming done and you get water in your ear and everything's full of sand. And right. so um, Friday, Friday is my day. Friday I'm in the yeah. sea and I cannot wait. Excellent. So we have to we have our first international guest um, today. So welcome, Adolf. Would you just like to introduce yourself to our viewers and just say what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm a political scientist by training. Um, I uh, just retired uh, summer before last from the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where I'd been for 15 years. Um, I've been uh, my work, uh, a lot of my academic work, a lot of my political work uh, um, aims at uh, e exploring the nexus of race and class or more broadly of, uh, of um, the political economy and identity politics or what's what, what we now know as identity politics. Um, I'm, I'm also uh, um, um, been involved in the labor movement for a long time uh, and um, I was part of the effort here in the 90s um, to found and build uh, an independent um, party of labor in the U.S., which was called, curiously enough, the Labor Party, um, and uh, and I've and more currently, I'm on the board of the Debs Jones Douglas Institute, which is named after um, American um, left figures. Uh, um, Eugene B. Debs, Frederick Douglass, and and uh, and uh, oh. Mother Jones, uh, and we've. Uh, this is actually a, a nonprofit that we created with the Labor Party, and uh, now we've had an infusion of cash, and uh, we work in South Carolina uh, on the ground. Like we uh, were active in um, in uh, the uh, uh, the Democratic primary campaign. Um, and uh, we've been organizing around M Medicare for all, but even more to the point now, um, the uh, the need to re uh, to reinvigorate uh, among the working class, even um, uh, uh, the, uh, the idea that government can be a force for good in people's lives, and and that public good should be the center of our politics. So, uh, you know, that's it. I try to write, uh, try to um, keep myself alive, right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, is, it, is the connection okay for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yep. good. Oh, okay. It must just be me then. I just I just switched it over to my phone because it was just lagging a little bit. Um, and Dr. Louise Quartain, welcome back uh, from the University of Greenwich. Do you want to introduce yourself for anybody who dared to miss a show of ours and didn't see you <laughs> last time? <laughs> okay. Ooh. Okay. Well, dear, you guys are in trouble, man. Anyway, so... Yes, I'm Louise Owusu-Kwarteng. I'm an associate professor in sociology. 
so you know one of my key area is sort of like around the ideas of race and education but also the intersection of class gender um race and disability and another aspect of the work that i do is i kind of i'm a director of undergraduate research so i'm trying to get you know staff and students to work together on undergraduate research projects on local projects within the university but also international ones as well so yeah that's that's me oh brilliant aisha you said you wanted to start off the questions you had a great question to start with um, yeah, I'm totally fangirling about both of our guests because they're just, I mean, Louise was so amazing when we had her on before and Adolf just came so highly recommended, love his work. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. But um, the first thing I wanted to ask both of you guys to do maybe would be to define identity politics um, as you take it and as you know other people take it because I guess for our viewers, everyone has their kind of own idea of what it is and maybe if we define the terms before we go all in, then right. it might be helpful. So, um, yeah, would you like to start, Adolf? Well, I was going to defer to Louise. So. Oh, go ahead, Louise. Okay, okay thank you, thank you. Uh -huh. Okay, so for me, I think identity politics is, you know, we are who we are. And I think at this point in time, you know, everybody is recognising their sort of like, you know, the oppression and the experiences that they have. And they use, um, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, it's used to kind of like, you know, politicize things, you know, to raise awareness about the issues that are going on. So, I mean, I think a good example of that might have been like, you know, the Black Power movement here in the UK. So, you know, they were using their identities as Black people and the fact that, you know, we were oppressed and everything as a way to kind of like raise awareness. But I think the problem is at the moment is that identity politics has been sort of taken and constructed as something negative and as a problem. And, you know, when people just say things like all lives matter or all this, that and the other, it's a way, in my opinion, to kind of like squash down identi our identities, you know, to, to squash down the oppressions that we face and all of that. But I don't think it has to be a bad thing. And I think it's also about not just focusing on one identity, it's about the intersection of all different ones. So in my case, in my case, as a black woman who has a disability, you know, who's from a working class background, you know, these are my sort of like intersectional identities. And, you know, there's lots of different politics that intersect but are separate within that. So that's, that's my take on it. Oh, before we bring Adolf in, yeah, I agree. Just, some, just to touch on something you just said there, mm -hmm. because identity politics, you know what I'm like when I tweet and stuff and I tweet about certain issues. I'm always, they go, oh, there she goes again with her identity politics. And it's used very disparagingly. Yeah. And it's used almost, like you said, in a way to shut you up. Or you're accused of being divisive. I don't know if it's similar in, in the States, Adolf. Mm. Um, what's your, first of all, what's your definition? And is it used in that kind of way as well? Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, I've got um, maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily more complicated or... Uh, um, view of it. I mean, that's because I start out with with, with a distinction um, or with, 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 with a way of thinking about the broader categories, right? And and, and there's no, uh, or I mean, the broader category, um, a functional distinction within cap capitalist systems of hierarchy, right? That becomes um, at, at at one historical moment, the the foundation for what we refer to as identity politics, right? Um, and I mean, 
so the kind of the way that I've mainly gone gone at this is to look at um, uh, what we think of as as a, you know, politically significant identities um, as um, as expressions of um, of the dynamics or social dynamics uh, of the reproduction of capitalist hierarchy, right? Uh, and from that perspective, wait, wait, I'm sorry, I got to ask you, is uh, that a Dominican flag behind you? Ava. Ava? <laughs> you muted Sorry, I muted you because my five-year-old. Uh oh. Yes, I'm, I'm half Dominican, half ah, Canadian, okay. half Dominican. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, well, one of my best friends, a former student and, and closest comrades is, is a Dominican. That's how I could recognize the flag. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Because one never forgets that 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 parrot. But anyway, um, I'll tell you a story about the parrot after. <laughs> oh, 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 good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear it actually. Um, okay. <laughs> so that, well, with the way that I look at category, what what I call categories of of ascriptive difference. That 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 is social distinctions based on what you suppose on what one supposedly is, instead of what 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 one supposedly does. Is that they're really kind of an endemic feature to any um, hierarchically um, uh, 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 structured um, political community, right? Or I mean, society, and they functioned in kind of the same way under feudalism that they function now. And 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 I apologize if this sounds too much like a functionalist analysis, but because that's not exactly what I mean. But they um, the work that they do. Right is to reinforce the notion that everybody is where they belong on the social ladder because of what they are. And from this perspective, see, like for me, um, you know, the real genus is categories of ascriptive difference. And within that genus, uh, you know, just to think in taxonomic terms for a second, um, race, gender. Um, sexual orientation, uh, immigration status, uh, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, are species of the genus of ascriptive hierarchies because they all do the same work. And since no, none of them are real, right, like in the ultimate sense, um, you, you can um, do them and re redo them and reorganize them and refine them uh, totally at will. And that's what's happened over the history of these you know, specific notions in a given society, uh, because they're all made up, right? Like I often say, when well, when you hear race, you might as well think unicorn, or when you hear gender, you might as well think Sasquatch, right? Which is not to say that because they're not real, like in the sense of 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 being categories rooted in nature. That's not to say that, that that they don't have social and political force, right? Um, so, so all that said, it's like a long windup, I guess. But in 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 the states at this moment, um, yeah, I think the greater tendency, and I think the more pernicious tendency, is kind of actually the other way around. I mean that that yeah, I mean there are all kinds of wackos out there who 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 object to the Black Lives Matter slogan for. For either uh, sincere or bogus, um, I can't say fucked up on here, can I? 
We had the one called Ash Chicago. No one swore before that, but since then it's all gone to hell in a handcart. <laughs> Say what you like. <laughs> okay. So, so, I mean, anyway, I mean, here I think the greater problem now, because um, sections of the American ruling class have found it useful um, to displace the idea of economic inequality completely, right? I mean, what, when you think about um, the two or three months after the George Floyd murder, um, some, 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 a handful of the most nefarious uh, and, and uh, reprehensible corporations in the entire world that are based in the U.S., found ways to pony up almost $2 billion to give to Black Lives Matter and, 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 and uh, to other causes that were defined in very abstract and diffuse ways as, as the racial justice um, causes. Uh, you probably saw that within the last month, I think, um, Goldman Sachs, uh, I mean, the investment house, um, g generated a $10 billion fund for Black women to establish businesses, right? Um, I worked in, in, in both Bernie Sanders campaigns and was struck by the extent to which um, various kinds of um, race race advocacy operatives. I mean, we originally, well, we eventually came to calling them uh, race reductionists, uh, just to, to counter the charge that those of us who didn't do this were class reductionists. Uh, you know, actually, insisted things like the New Deal didn't do anything for Black people. Black people didn't benefit from it. The Bernie Sanders program wouldn't do anything for black people uh, because black uh, uh, because he didn't address black issues. And kind of tellingly, in both campaigns, I, you know, as a flack out on the campaign trail, uh, was approached by, you know, groups groups or individuals, uh, black people who would ask me, well, well, so why doesn't Bernie I mean, do anything for black people? And my response was always the same. That I've walked down every item in the program from, uh, from national health care to free, free public, higher education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, increasing minimum wage and so forth and so on. And after each one, I would ask, so is this not a, um, um, a policy that, that Black Americans would benefit from disproportionately, uh, you know, uh, I mean, along with Hispanics? And to me, the real punchline of this story, since I've told it a lot, is, is not what happened exactly but how the the responses that i got to making that point shook out uh among working people i can't remember a single time when well, when the response to making that point that that i got was wasn't yeah uh, yeah i take your point i see what you mean right uh but among the pmc right right, right the professional and and managerial strata it was entirely different. Nothing satisfied them because what 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 they understood to be, and this is what's understood to be the the black agenda, like in the states now, was um, was um, a program that focused on addressing racial disparities. Period. Punto. Right. Uh, and but but the problem with and and I mean nobody's in favor of stark racial disparities. But the problem is that if that's the focus of what you understand to be a left agenda, then that's a left agenda that's already cozied up in bed and, 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 and under the cover 
with, with the capitalist class, right? Because that, that's, that's a notion of social justice that works quite well for them. There's nothing wrong with the patterns of, of inequality that are produced by the market, right? The only problem is that, that groups with a history of, 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 you know, of, of, of dispossession or victimization haven't been able to benefit as much. And what we need to do is take, uh, take a, a remedial action to sort of bring the black upper class onto a more um, comparable footing with, 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 with the white upper class. And I, I mean, that's fine. It, uh, I mean, that's as valid um, a goal as any other, I guess. But the problem is that when that becomes the sine qua non of the black uh, um, the political agenda, then working black people are cut out of the equation entirely. And, and I'll shut up after I say this, but like recent work on the, on the so-called um, racial wealth gap, right? Which I'm sure everybody all over the world has heard about, all the world has heard about, is that it turns out that 75 plus percent of the, of the wealth gap is a gap that exists between the top 10% of, of black wealth holders and, 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 uh, and um, income uh, takers and the top 10% of white uh, 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 you know, wealth holders and income takers. Um, 97% of the, of the racial wealth gap exists among the mean or rather um, exists above the median for both both groups and 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 if you um, were to to eliminate the racial wealth gap uh, among the bottom half of each population then still more than 80 percent I think of the wealth gap would would persist so um, so so, so the line that connects all, or or the runs as a thread through that massive of, of you know, numbers, is that the racial wealth gap is a fiction for everybody except the richest 10 percent of of blacks and whites. Um, so anyway, yeah. final statement is that um, in the U.S. at 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 this point anyway. Um, the greater tendency uh, is for, or that we confront, like in trying to do our work, is is among um, what I would describe as race first. Uh, I, I'm advocates or race uh, or race race reductionists to define anything that 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 addresses um, a broader program of. Of, uh, of of egalitarian redistribution is considered yeah. class reductionist. So, yeah, I wanted to say because I'm just going to, before I bring Louise in quickly, just mm-hmm. because it's just like I know a lot of our viewers will be going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not calling you guys who are viewing thick. I'm just saying we're not all sociologists and we're not all lawyers and whatever. Right, yeah, 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 I, sure. I think, I, there's a few things that you had said that I'm kind of hoping that I, I I got right on that. It's like that there seems to be, um, people seem to see race as a certain thing. And it's like, have you got black skin? And that is the problem that we are having. I'm not sure 
how um, extensive the problem is in the U US. Hold on a second. Sweetheart, please. Yeah, I'm hungry. Okay, babes, if you're hungry, go and get something from the fridge. Stop coming online pretending I don't feed you. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, I'm not going to do that right now. Honestly, here, take your, um, the rest of your thingies. And I will do that after. Okay. Honestly. Black I feed her, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you, darling. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Anyway, I think, yeah, you. I don't know how it is in America, but I know that definitely in the UK there is um, a, a movement. There are people who, for them, you're talking about Goldman Sachs and whatever, race relations is a business. You know, it's about... Right. So there are some people who are black and some people who are white who are both in the business of maintaining the status quo. Right. They don't need this right. to improve because then they're out of work. They're out of, you know, what they do. Right. And there was right. some point I was making before the child came in and it's gone, sorry. I was just going to um, quickly just add to what you were saying, Ava, that from what I took from what um, Adolf was saying was basically that the way that we're all separated and things can change. And the example I was gonna give was like Italian Americans and the way that race changed, their race changed or their place in the racial hierarchy. Race right. is fluid. So if people weren't understanding what you meant when you're talking about genuses and that race is fluid and actually it's the same thing with black people who access a higher class. As much as I love Bay and Jay, they don't, they aren't changing the material situation for black people around the world. So they have now become the upper class and they are nothing and we are nothing to them. And so that is past. Sorry, Louise, have I stolen your thunder? Go. I take it back. Go, Louise, go. No, no, no. Sorry. sorry, I just wanted to say in terms of it not being static, we are seeing that with COVID. What is happening to the Asian American community? <laughs> right. What has happened before the model minority? Now look at how that's so shaking. It can change. Louise, go. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, I'm like, I was just like shaking my head because it's just like, yes, this is exactly what I'm thinking. Because I think the thing is, I mean, when you were talking about race reductionism, I've got, I think, you know, I've got a problem with this because at the end of the day, like our experiences as black people are not going to be the same. And this is why class kind of like intersects with that because, like, you know, you've got those people who are at the top of the hierarchy, and I'm sorry to say it, and I've seen some of them here. It's just like, sack the rest of us who may be from like a working class background or who speak like I do, do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, this is, this is where it goes wrong. This is where it goes wrong. But then also I think Adolf, like, you know, and, and you know, if, you're if I've got this wrong, please do tell me. But I think, you know, like when you were talking about functionalism and stuff like that, I was thinking, okay, you're looking at it from a kind of macro level mm -hmm. approach, right. okay. Right. Um, I get that, but I guess because I kind of look at it, I always look at things from a sort of micro level. Right. So like this sure. is on the ground, sort of like understanding sure. individual experiences or the experiences of smaller groups. So I have a different kind of like perspective, which mm -hmm. is why I think that, okay, we can't, I mean, you know, race reductionism just kind of doesn't work because everybody, has a different experience. And as Ava was saying there about even with COVID, we've seen that. I mean, even in this country, I mean, look at the way that, you know, some, some black people are really, you know, they're more susceptible to COVID than other people because of the kind of jobs that they have to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think that race reduction or even class reduction, is, I, I just, I, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't, but then right. that's just my micro sociology kind of right. coming out, sorry. Well, well, no, I hear you, but look, I mean, um, um, COVID disparity is like a perfect example of this problem, 
right? Mm. Uh, and um, like early on um, in the pandemic here, like I was concerned, I actually wrote some about this, that, um, that there was a rush to look at the initial disparate numbers of infections and, and, and deaths and begin to argue that race is some, was somehow like responsible for this. And especially if you're talking about um, a biological and a medical issue, yeah, that, yeah, not then that. you know, that's the same. Well, in fact, I was just about to write this when I had to get on uh, for, for, uh, you know, for an article my son and I are doing that, that the that liberal metaphors, right? Like race is our original sin. It's like our national disease. Mm. For all, you know, for whatever um, positive or egalitarian intent people have, what when they make that claim, it's exactly the same claim that Victorian racists made, right, right about distance, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, in the UK, like, I mean, those bastards had, had convinced themselves that the English working class and the aristocracy were racially different and that says something about both the fluidity and the promiscuity of the way that the race idea has been applied which can only be the case because once again it's not real it's not but it's not a category um uh, races aren't natural populations but so so we go on with this and it turns out that well first of all as you would expect just thinking like an epidemiologist, that the early reports come in and there are disparate and there are disparities. And then as more and more reports come in, like, uh, I mean, the disparities collapse, but most of all, and this was the most pernicious thing about it, frankly, that uh, the, the, the insistence on uh, condensing black victims of COVID uh, in, into this one um, identity category of theirs, race, helped or made it harder to see what eventually was confirmed that the predict so that that race is a shorthand, right? I mean, predictor, right? Which which means even as a seventy four now uh, year old person with diabetes, uh, who 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 is a uh, who, who is officially classified as black, I was never um, at the same kind of risk as, as my 32-year-old UPS driver, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Because, I mean, and I think that that was, that was the point I also wanted to drive, to drive up because, like, you know, some, because of the sometimes, and I'm not saying all, but, like, you know, sometimes the jobs that we have to do because we're doing more front-facing jobs, Right, so, like, for right. instance, here, you see more right. bus drivers or you see more people working in the right. NHS. I mean, I'm yeah. the same as you because, you know, I teach. So, I, I, you know, I'm less susceptible. I'm not, I'm not sort of front-facing, especially right. not now. So I think there is that, that kind of, like, disparity. So, yeah, it's not the person's race. I mean, I know that last year, for instance, you know, they were trying to say that, oh, it's because black people have got lower vitamin D and all this. Oh, that. Right. That's pathologizing. Right. Do you know what I mean? But it's not that. It's because of what, and you know, basically we're doing the jobs that people don't want to do. Right. Right. And and I mean, living or the housing conditions and so on. Excuse me. 
Oh, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, essentially, just like so, for everyone following, although we agree that race is a social construct, mm -hmm. right? There, there are things that can affect you, but like you said, there's different, the stratification is different. There's different types of Black people, as we know. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Like I, you know, comedy I write, I'm not really... You know, if anyone's going to bring in COVID, it's going to be that little one there who um, bringing it from school or something. Like we just don't have to take those kinds yeah. of risks or things. So, in saying that, can I just further the conversation a little bit by asking? Because I had someone say again to me today when I made a point. Oh, it's not about race; it's about class. It's not about race; it's about class. Right. So, for, since we mentioned intersectionality. Where would you guys say, I mean, where do we start with that argument? That's something that we get thrown at us a lot, particularly from white socialists over here. Mm. Um, I don't know how, if they're the same in England. I think that was a criticism of the, of the Bernie campaign from what I saw, right. the Bernie bros or whatever they were being called at the time. I tried to keep up as much as I can. Yeah, but yeah. one of the things was that, like you said, people asked, what are you doing for black people? because it was seen as quite a very white type movement that was only um, concerned with class. Well, I'll tell you what though, I mean, just, I'm just, well, I'm just a little factoid, right? At, at every point between 2015 and 2020, black Americans in polls uh, uh, reported higher support for Bernie Sanders than, than among any other group, right? Because because you look at what the campaign's program promises, right? Uh, and now there are further complications. There would be like a different show that nobody would even care about, but, uh, but about uh, you know, the relationship between what I mean, rank and file black, black people would, uh, uh, you know, would respond to and, and uh, what the vote actually uh, uh, turned out to be. But, but, but the fact is, and, and I have to say, too, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, they were assholes, self-conscious, smart, white, white guys of whatever gender, or for that matter, of whatever race, um, who, uh, because I remember after uh, the South Carolina primary, both times, actually, there was like a spate of stuff. And, and uh, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter for pretty much the same reasons I don't drive around with a pistol in my glove compartment, because, you know. <laughs> Bad shit would happen in the spur of the moment. I regret it forever. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but I saw a welter of comments from white, from 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 uh, presumably white people complaining about how black voters didn't understand their own interests and the hell with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was there, but the Sanders campaign was was as conscious of the need to attack racial in it injustice as as anybody else in the country was right and this was a smear and, and it was a smear precisely on behalf of people who want to insist that all black people have one single agenda and it just happens to be an agenda that 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 advent or that advantages the the class that the vast majority of us do not belong to right and so that's another thing about it. And look, I mean, there's a colonial analogy here too, right? I mean, I was, um, what well, I was just rereading some of Fanon for the 15 millionth time, and was and a good friend of mine actually wrote a nice piece on this. That um, so you know, I'm of the generation that was 
caught up in third worldism and I came out of the black power movement right in the US myself. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say that, well, I wouldn't say that our third worldist perspective was naive exactly, but I think there was a combination of, of not having, um, or, or not being sensitive enough both to um, the the uh, the malleability of of capital and of imperialism, but and on the other side, uh, I mean, not not being sophisticated enough about um, uh, this notion of you know the people whom we we posited, uh, and you know, decades later, you can think, well, so bourgeois nationalism has done the same thing in in what we used to call the third world that that it did in europe right it was always a class project uh and uh and and sociologist rogers brubaker who's whose work i like like a lot uh has contended that you know we all have like a gazillion um ethnic identities that we um that that we operate with and and i mean ethnic even broadly construed like being a new orleans saints football fan is a kind of ethnic identity right uh being a catholic right in the protestant world is is it it can be a kind of ethnic identity but what brubaker argues is and his work is on central europe right in in transylvania in particular where people have multiple cross cross and uh, and and overlapping identities like in a given household so and I mean, Brubaker's argument is that that eth- ethnicity is likely to 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 rise to the fore, right? Among uh, I mean the complex of identities that people have, when when I mean agitated by um, by uh, the political uh, uh, yeah, by political entrepreneurs who want to pursue agendas that require the support of a population much larger than the number of people who would benefit from the agenda. And that's when we become Serbs or we become Croatians or, or, or Tutsi or Hutu. Right. Uh, And that's part of the mix too. Right. So, so, and that's what we have seen clearly, very clearly in the U S right. And, and it comes out in a way, and I suppose this would be a discussion like in the UK too, that if, if, if the idea is to transform the society, well, how does a race line help us transform the society, right? And that's not to say, and I know that some people say this, and, I, and when they say it around me, I will tell them that they should go perform an unnatural sex act on themselves. Um, but, but I mean, some people say, well, well, I mean, that's why you need to subordinate everything to, to some, uh, some, I mean, abstract idea of class. I have hardly ever in, encountered any of those people. And, you know, I've been an active person identified with the left for more than half a century. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's some out there, right. But I mean, not enough to count for anything. Um, but, but that's the, um, you know, I mean, that's a stereotype that gets, uh, I mean, deployed to um, attack the entire e- egalitarian left project, right? Um, and, I mean, we and, do it, yeah. 
I don't yeah. know if you this here with Jeremy Corbyn. Right. I mean, uh, strong right. Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, my personal dream would have been Corbyn Sanders. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I yeah, no, me too. Oh, my yeah. God. That right. was, oh, God that a different world. A different world. Half the problems we've got now, you know, so yeah. No, yeah, we wouldn't. We but I, I think you're right. I felt naive coming out of that, out of that election, the 2019 election. I was just, I was stunned. I was absolutely. Yeah, I, was, did. I didn't speak for three days. If you know me, that's amazing. Right. I was so devastated. I, I thought to myself, maybe I need to grow up. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm stupid. But I really thought that we had something, a real movement going there, and just seeing right. it crushed by the establishment and those. You know, those are, to me, the people that voted against their interests. Right. You know, the majority of people who went Trump rather than Sanders or, you know, even the neoliberal Democrats. I mean, Aisha, right. what were you going to say? Well, I was going to ask, I mean, back to people voting against their own interests. Mm -hmm. But obviously with the Corbyn campaign, there's an ad that I always talk about where they had a, a white working class guy walking through a council estate saying, I have more in common with the Bangladeshi cleaner. I have more in common with the Polish um, car cleaner. I have more in common with uh, than I do with Boris Johnson or any Tory or any one of the upper classes, which of course is the argument that we're, we're all making. Um, but what I do have to say, just if, not to counteract it, but the thing that I think for me is where the sticking point has always been. And I really would love to hear um, Louise's thoughts on this and obviously Adolf's as well, but is that when I am part of the left and the class struggle, which I am till I die, obviously, mm -hmm. um, I, it's very difficult as a black woman because you very quickly find yourself in situations where a lot of the left doesn't support you. So, for example, were you a um, uh, one of the cleaners at the uh, UCL strikes? Um, you weren't getting supported, but yet we were told to support the close the pay gap, which is back to what you were saying earlier on, Adolf, um, yeah. support more women in boardrooms. I tell you who those women ain't going to be in boardrooms. They're not going to look like any of the three women on the screen. You know, so that's where there's always this really big, for me, um, it's not a dichotomy, but it's a struggle because basically they're asking us to shit, eat more shit while grinning, basically. Right. Right. You know, and it's not like we haven't been eating shit for hundreds of years. Right. There you go, Adolf. I told you, we told you they were swearing. But, um, yes. Well, I'm not liberated. Thank you very much. Good, thank you. Welcome. This is a safe space, a safe fucking space. So anyway, <laughs> Louise. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, I was, I was making notes as, as everybody was speaking here and stuff. So I think one of, one of the things that I always think about, now I've watched, I watched documentaries about every little thing, you know what I mean? I even watched documentaries on Coronation Street or whatever. But anyway, I was watching one, um, you know, like a couple of years ago, and it was called The Road to War. And, yeah. you know, I would remember there was a line in it where, like, you know, because obviously these, they were interviewing people that were sort of growing up when Britain had the empire, right? And, right. you know, like there was a guy, he was from a working class Cockney background, he was a white guy. And he was saying that, you know, the way that um, society kind of like constructs, um, you know, like even working class white people was that they're better than someone else who was from a different ethnicity, who basically right. belongs to the empire. Right. So, I mean, for me, I mean, I think this is, this is where that there's a bit of an issue there because you, we can't, I don't think we can, Sort of like you know just just be looking just at the class struggle because there are just too many intersections that statement to me just kind of like said it all because like you know the race the race if you're working class and you're, you're black your experience is going to be very different 
to somebody who is working class. I'm not very different, but there's crossovers, but like at the same time, there are going to be differences, you know. Um, You know, like, let's just say, for instance, if you're applying for a job and stuff, you know, there's that whole thing about the ethnic penalties as well. And then, you know, you've got the fact, as you say, you've got the fact that, you know, you're a woman as well. So, and, and, you know, the whole thing about the boardrooms, I remember something that my boss was talking about in a conference. She said about concrete ceilings. So like with white women, they've got a glass ceiling, so at least they can see through the other side. But for us, we've, we've kind of got that concrete one. I'm not saying that we don't get through because we can, but right. it's harder. Do you know what I mean? So I think, you know, just to sort of, for people to reduce, not, and I'm not saying that everybody does it, but like I do agree with Ava in the sense that, you know, some people say, oh, it's not a race struggle, it's a class struggle. I think you can't, you can't look at one without the other and I do think that you know we should be working together I do think that we should be working you know black working class and white working class and for those of us who have come from a working class background I do think that we should be but at the same time in so doing do not negate the experiences of people who are or who are already marginalized and have experienced it historically do you know so that's yeah I agree with that completely too Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I think it was a bit back. I, I said, oh, 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 okay. yes, this is going off my phone now. I don't even know what's going on. Um, just to make then. it clear, I'm not the one who said it's about class, not race. No. That's what get le- gets leveled at me. Oh, just making that clear. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say you were. I'm just saying that for anyone that's saying that. No, I know you're not saying that, don't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, we are seeing it played out. But see, this is the thing. And, 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 and not only do I agree uh, completely, but it, and it also gives me uh, like an opportunity to make some use of that early or my first, uh, uh, that diatribe about taxonomy. Because there's both a practical question for me and an interpretive question, right? And they're connected. Um, the interpretive question, which is the punchline of that uh, that dichotomy or, or the taxonomy stuff, uh, um, stuff I laid out earlier, it, is that, and this is why, to be honest, like I've never been a huge fan of the intersectionality framework, but mm-hmm. but it amounts to the same thing. That the way I look at this is that um, the the work that these ascriptive hierarchies do, right? is they, first of all, emerge out of, um, as ideologies within the capitalist um, um, cultural system, basically. So in that sense, yes, it's certainly true that you can't, um, uh, you, you, uh, you can't attack them without attacking capitalism, but you can't attack capitalism without attacking them as well, because it's it, it it's it's all produced within the capitalism with capitalism as a cultural and a political, economic, and ideological order, right? So and 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 one of the things I find really disturbing about um, you know there's a tendency. I hope this hasn't swum backward across uh, well across the Atlantic yet, but there's, but, uh, but but there's an academic tendency here called Afro pessimism. Which posits that race as a transhistorical uh, um, demon, basically, right? Uh, and like that definitely just seems to do the work for 
for the other side, there's a kind of um, passively glorious pessimism that the well-fed classes get to bash, bash themselves in, right? There's nothing we could do no matter what we do. Uh, you know, the whole, whole, whole world is organized around, um, around, um, uh, around anti-blackness. But on the practical side of this, too, it, it said, well, we want to transform the society, right? We, we can only transform the society by building a, a movement around the broadest possible solidarities that we can construct to, to separate us uh, from the ruling class, basically, right? Mm. And from that perspective, and also, and again, I, I, this comes up, um, a lot of my work over the years are in the labor movement. What's the best way to, to get at working class sexism and, 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 and racism? Um, you know, one of, my, um, one of the first books I read when I was a kid was, uh, um, was uh, Aesop's Fables, and I read it over and over and over. And one of my favorites um, was uh, the contest between the sun and the wind about which was stronger. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And they picked this guy on a hill with a jacket and the wind blew and blew and blew and blew and the harder the wind blew, the tighter the guy pulled, pulled the jacket around him. Uh, and then, but so then the sun took its turn and it gradually got warmer and warmer. The guy took the jacket off, off himself. From, from an organizer's perspective, that's what you want. And and how that translates, like, you know, I'm into the working class movement and in the U.S., but elsewhere in the world, it, it's, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, the left and the trade unions took on the, 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 the flavor of the world that they operated in, that they were always uh, more egalitarian than anybody else, right, but both for practical reasons and for principled ones, depending on the kind of union that you're talking about. And I guess what I'm trying to get to is the best way to um, the best way uh, I mean to overcome uh, racist and sexist and whatever other tendencies like that in, in the trade union movement is through rooting discussion of them solidly in the context of solidarity, right? And 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 a could and 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 commitment to the same institution, the same struggle, right? And the way it can go is first as a grudging kind of tolerance and then people um, form personal connections, right? It's not like a brotherhood week movie, but I mean, um, people can come to see, right? Uh, what the guy that you pointed to who was going through, uh, uh, was walking through the council housing saw. And, and, and that certainly works better than any kind of, you know, hectoring about um, what we let, um, you, you need to acknowledge your white privilege. But I, I, I mean, there's so much crazy shit going on in this country now about that. And I hope you're spared from it. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, may I, made a, uh, may, may I turn the tables for a second? Because I have a question I'm really curious about. Okay. And it's, and, and it's got to do with the Corbin moment, right? Because, I mean, um, and really after Corbin's defeat, mainly, because I've been reading in, in New Left Review and elsewhere, and I have some colleagues here who, who are uh, UK nationals and are um, and are aligned with a wing of the Labour Party that concerns me, okay, and that's this one that um, 
like some some crazy people have even tried to argue here that uh, Sanders lost um, because he he um, conciliated the uh, uh, the woke elements and made too too much of an appeal. That's absolute bullshit. Absolute bullshit. No truth to it whatsoever. But in the U.S., that's partly a marker of of a thing, a, a little tendency that mainly exists on the internet called the post left. And like, these are people who want to argue that the way forward for the left is to make um, alignments with, 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 with what they imagine to be the working class components of the Trump constituency and, 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 and around an economic, uh, economic nationalism, uh, I mean, discourse. And what I've gotten uh, yeah, my sense, the sense that I've gotten, so I'm asking you to confirm or that, that uh, I'm this or not, is that, so one line of argument about Corbyn was, was t- taking off from, from, from a perspective of the broad, uh, of, uh, of the broad coalition and labor, uh, that, uh, you know, that sees the traditional, um, I'm working class base, pitted against what some of these people are calling like the Londoners, right? Uh, who, right, right the- Liberal uh, elites. Um, right, right, elite, elite, elite. Right. Yeah. yeah, there was a whole phrase for it. That's the one, yeah. And, and I can see that to some extent because the same thing has um, happened here. Um, uh, um, um, uh, I mean, for instance, in, in, in uh, the Democratic Socialists of America, like um, the increase in um, your membership is coming from from uh, your professionals and uh, NGO workers and that kind of thing, who are fundamentally not on uh, uh, you know, our side in the class struggle either. But what especially gives me concern about the, um, the um, um, uh, about the anti-Londoner tendency is precisely what, what it shares with the sort of post-left thing thing here that um, that it's in the name of critique of um, identity politics, they're prepared to go make an alliance with, with, with the right, which would only end up one, one place. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think um, uh, to answer from what I was really heavily involved with the Corbyn thing at first and did the whole Make Jeremy for PM tour and I was on right. news night talking about it and I was very, very mm. passionate uh, fan of Jeremy's and what he stood mm. for. Mm-hmm. I think what they do now, I mean, like I said, I, I'm starting to wonder if I was just very naive, but what they do is they talk about mm. what goes down well on the doorstep. Doorstep was what Jeremy was about. And a lot of times, I mean, I didn't go canvassing last time because of her age, but I went canvassing with my push chair, but the, the year before I was at Labour Party conference speaking and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. And I think there was a big movement that was going on. And then it just became, uh, you know, the the mainstream press and stuff became very vindictive, very spiteful. And they'd say, hey, do you know that Corbyn thinks that those Iraqis are the same as you? He thinks that they deserve the rights. And then when you're taking that argument to people who are up north, and, and bear in mind, this country has invested heavily financially in London for a long time. For a long, long time. Even for instance, to to bring everything back and cross it all over again, when it comes to COVID, the COVID numbers were ridiculous in London at one point, and they didn't want to shut London down at all, because that is where the money is. 
Nice. So there was no investment for years and years and years in the north. And then it just became, you know, you know, the outer parts of London, maybe a bit in Birmingham, BBC moved to Manchester, a little bit there. But that was what was going on. So that's how they poisoned them and said, hey, yes. these people only really care about London. They only care about the metropolitan elite. They don't care about you. And then, but the problem being, like you said, when it comes to the centrists, as I don't know if you guys call them centrists, the right. neoliberals, yeah. the Obama types, the Hillary Clinton types, Tony who Blair, the game, mm-hmm. the Tony Blair, they will never side with the working classes oh, no. because oh, every no. time they're told to pick a side, they go right. They will always go protect their money. Sorry, people are just trying to jump in. Louise, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I mean, I, I, I agree with you because, yeah, I agree with you. And also, I mean, I'm from the Midlands, so I'm from yeah. I'm from Nottingham, and I would say that you know this this whole thing against the left as well. I'd I'd say even goes further than that because like I look at Nottingham, so where I grew up in the north of Nottingham, so you know mm-hmm. it kind of borders Sheffield. They got royally screwed over. Do you know what I mean in the eighties? Like you know when the mine shut down. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Margaret Thatcher said, "Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that." I mean, again, you know, another one of the documentaries I've watched, I mean, they were saying that, look, you know, this area, I've been doing mining all of my life, you know, so what are we going to do now that now that they've shut? And then she told them to shut up, basically. She told them to stop moaning like mini, yeah. right? So, you know, I would say that, you know, like this, they've been screwed over for a long time. And then like, you, I'm sorry to say it, but, you know, you've got, you've got successive governments, including Blair's, but then also right. Tory governments just kind of like saying, we're going to do, I mean, it's happening again. It's happening again with Boris saying that, oh, he's going to do this and he's going to do that for the North and everything. And then people buy into it, you know, right. because you've got sweet mouth. People buy into it. And then when nothing happens, and, you know, the thing, the thing that really bothers me about all of this is the fact that, you know, you can see that this has happened historically, almost 40 years mm-hmm. since Maggie's right. been in, right? And right. then things are just still, nothing's changing. Right. It, it's just oh. and then I agree I agree that the media plays a role and the Daily Mail if the Daily Mail is the absolute worst for this yeah. you know what I mean yeah. and it and it's a sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge you know like because I mean obviously as well sometimes when I go back home and I'm talking to people about politics mm-hmm. and you know they're just like oh well you know like you're not from me and I'm just like fam I am you know what I mean it's just I don't <laughs> live here now do you know what I'm saying but it's just, it's just like, it's really, really, really hard to sort of like, you know, get people to see that there's another way. And I think even this happened when it came to the Brexit referendum as well. This is why in parts of the North, because they felt so disregarded, you know, right. they've been let down. This is why we're in the situation that we're in. And then, you know, even recently, I was just hearing something about, oh, you know, like, I think it was Hartlepool who was going to benefit from Brexit. And I'm just thinking, you're not, you're not, right. you no. know? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, sorry. And and just the patronising. I I was did a news night appearance, and I'm telling you, I was super cool. I was not shouting. I'm not the black woman that goes on TV that they can ever catch. But you know, you can just be doing anything with your face, right? Mm. I must have been speaking, and they caught my face like this. While I was probably sounding out a word, right? And then I was all over the express. They were questioning my mental health because I spoke about um, a by-election that Jeremy Corbyn had won up north. And I think it was when, oh uh, gosh, what's his name? 
Tristram Hunt just left and actually just decided he was going to go to the Royal Albert, the Victorian Albert Museum. And so we were just talking about that and what was going on. And, and Sellafield was up there and we were talking. And it was just like, oh, she's so bizarre. Look at her bizarre defense. She was ranting. I was like, I actually wasn't the one ranting. The mm-hmm. white woman hosting it was the one yeah. ranting, not me. Right. And it, they just make out that you said things that you didn't say. And it, it got so poisonous that the Corbyn movement and stuff, like I, like I said, I didn't go out in 2019. 2019, I kind of just did it off the stage. If I was doing my comedy gigs, I would talk about it and I would say, who are you voting for? And, I, you know, but that's hard to put because the people who come and see me pretty much, that's who they're going to vote for. It's going right. to be Corbyn or someone right. on the left. But it was really such a very poisonous uh, campaign on coming from all different places. And it was just it was so frustrating because it just wasn't true. And I had people telling me that, gosh, canvassing 2017, everybody wanted to hear what we had to say. I found it very welcoming. When it came to 2019, it was like literally almost like an old man, like, get off my lawn, like completely get away. And the hate, the hate that was coming was so, it was, it was unbelievable to me. That's why I said maybe I was just naive. Aisha, how did you find things? One thing I was going to say that was interesting about Adolf's question was not only was it sort of us older um, lefties that were vilified and obviously there was the whole anti-Semitism scandal where, I mean, we had a wonderful, wonderful guest and um, one of Ava's close, close friends, Nishar yeah. Talk, um, uh, consultant cardiologist, um, about um, how she felt after she was uh, canvassing pregnant or with a very small baby and, you know, all these people who are dedicated to just wanting children to eat, you know, being vilified as, and, and people who've campaigned as anti-racist, people who are on the sharp end of racism, I mean, the amount of insults, the, the plenty of Jews being um, vilified as all of these people vilified but even the other thing and one of the things I think is actually the saddest parts of it is the amount of young people who were switched on to politics because they had previously thought they had no chance of getting jobs they were saddled with £50,000 university debt they had no chance to buy houses all of these things they were actually really invested in the class struggle side of it because they were necessarily working class by by dint of their age you know Um, they were turned on to politics and they were vilified and told that and then they were shown that that doesn't make a difference because the powers that be were just closed down and I found that was one of the saddest things so when you ask about whether it was the same and I assume it was similar with Bernie um, supporters in the US because I'm sure that young people would have really supported his policies yeah yeah, that's absolutely what 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 happened and I mean and and the way you guys laid out uh what what turned um you know the vote in the north toward toward johnson basically Mm. was the same thing happened here about trump and see this Mm. is what people don't want to admit here right and 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 it's a lot easier to say oh look at all those racists out there and the homophobes and whatnot but you know again like this is another one of those funny numbers between six and a half and nine million people in in 20 uh, and of your nine million trump voters in 2016 had voted for Bernie and Obama. Wow. Yeah. And I, mean, I can send you a couple of things that we've published that take, take off from that. There's a woman who's a very good, 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 you know, good friend of mine who's a labor organizer and activist in Hawaii. And her, um, you know, there's, there's, there's this funny little population in the American West that um, like overlaps Colorado and uh, New Mexico and maybe someplace else. And it's a population that 
I sometimes joke like on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they're Hispanic, and on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, they're Native American, and and they speak a um, um, a dialect of Spanish that shows that. Wow. Her father worked with Cesar Chavez. Uh, he's a longtime tra trade unionist, not just with the farm workers, but with the federal employees and the boilermakers, whatever. And her mother's um, what was a social worker, um, and um, and and she, she was appalled to find that they voted for Trump. And her father said to her, well, I voted for Trump, Trump just like I voted for Obama, right? Because he's promising to make things better. And, and Obama didn't, right? And Trump came, came back with, 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 with the same promise. And like you say, these are people who, who have heard nothing better from the Democrats since 1992 than, I mean, don't worry, we'll come back for you after we take care of Wall Street, right? And uh, there's been like a 50-year decline in per capita um, wages, like in the U.S. And these people, and nothing's happening for them, and a whole lot of stuff is happening to them, right? Right? Their kids are getting sent off to war. So what the fuck? I mean, you expect that when, uh, when the Pied Piper comes to town and says, "I'll take care of you," and and I mean the Democrats have haven't even offered them an explanation, right? Uh, they, they just tell them, eh, well, the jobs moved because you didn't do enough to husband your human capital. So we can give you like a coding class and get your ass back, 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 uh, back out there in a labor market that has nothing to offer you. So the one thing I can say for Biden is that so far his administration seems to have recognized, uh, of course, they will never say so in public, uh, uh, the failure of Obama. And 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 what their policy approach seems to be like is um, trying to take away or a chunk of it is trying to take away Trump's voting base, right? I mean, not his hardcore fascist base, but the people who vote for him, right, out of desperation, right? Because there's nothing like offering jobs and and mm -hmm. and support that kind of clears people's heads up a little bit. But it's exactly the same thing. Um, and I, don't know, like, I was concerned too, frankly, that uh, I mean, during the primaries here, that uh, that the center of gravity within, like, um, um, uh, I mean, the ruling class and and the dominant tendency within the Democratic Party, made it clear that they were more concerned about Sanders and a challenge from the left than they were about Trump, right? Um, and I think that changed a little bit with all uh, the post-election stuff and I'm pretty sure they freaked out uh, on after January 6th but, but but I've also been saying for a while that just I mean looking at Johnson, Modi, Orban, mm -hmm. Porchenko, Bolsonaro yeah. that's pretty clear that what was starting to look more and more like anyway neoliberalism has exhausted its capacities to to deliver yeah. enough to enough of the population to sustain its its legitimacy as a democratic order. And if that's the case, there's only two directions you can go. One is toward um, authoritarianism and the other is 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 in the in the direction of social democracy. And to me it was like and uh, and way too much of an open question, right? Um, 
yeah. as, as to which which of those options would be more attractive to, to, to the American ruling class till well until the Trump stuff. Um, yeah, right. I was going to say, um, do you think in terms of Biden, where you're saying he's made, uh, you know, what he's done different from Obama, but mm -hmm. do you think Obama as being the first black president had to be too conciliatory? I felt with Jeremy Corbyn, like mm -hmm. with Obama, when the blue dogs were barking in the right. Democrat, they were dragging him sort of center, the center right were dragging him that way. And I right. felt the same with Jeremy Corbyn. I was just like, deselect, fire them, get yeah, them right. out, withdraw the right. whip. Yeah. And right. I felt that he felt with somebody with the reputation of being so left. Whereas I agree, Biden being a white guy who's been in politics forever doesn't have the restraints that Obama had on him. If you well, understand what I mean, is that, would you say that is true? Well, well, it's an interesting question. Uh, and I mean, like I'll go back, uh, I mean, to 2008 on that one because I didn't support Obama. Uh, and um, and I didn't support Obama for many reasons. The uh, the one was that I knew Obama, right? Because he was he emerged as a political figure in the state senate district that I lived in and worked in in uh, Chicago, and and I was very close to his predecessor, who was a left wing black black woman, uh, and. So like it's like yeah, I mean I sometimes say it's like I was in the birthing room at the outset of Obama's career and got to see what what he was. He never was anything other than that. He's um, he was never a progressive. He he, uh, he never had any commitments uh, uh, any commitments to anything left, and and so like. Um, the thing I was concerned about, uh, and and I wasn't alone in, in in this either. You'd never know it, but what was that? If he got elected, uh, after all these big promises about how his person, right, right, because the way that Obama presented himself was always that his person was the embodiment of the movement, and that's where the first black president thing gets pretty shaky too, because he could implicitly point to that, and say, okay, well, this is a marker of progress on the racial front, uh, you know, more, more or less, uh, and imply that that translated into a more broadly um, progressive politics. Uh, but I thought, and my son, what was even more, uh, one of more emphatic about this than I was, what was that if he wins, makes all these empty promises and 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 the promises were hinged on his race, basically, like because we knew he was progressive because he was black. What happens if he fails or doesn't do anything? What door has been opened to what could come after him? Right, black guy didn't do it because he's black, but I'm going to do it because I'm white, right? And so in that sense, and Lord, like if anybody like in the U.S. I mean, watches this, and and I mean, not just blacks, but white white progressives. Uh, that, that I'm dead, but um, <laughs> but it was Obama that that made Trump possible and that opened the door to Trump. So and 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 you know, I mean, often enough. So like, I was born the year that J Jackie Robinson 
uh, desegregated Major League Baseball. And that's like a resonant accomplishment about, you know, being the first black black to do this and the other. But I mean, not only has that stuff gotten kind of stupid now, right? Like, why should I care really about the first black woman to win an Academy Award? You know what I mean? For 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 I mean, director, right? It's like, it's like uh, the poet Langston Hughes said about the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, um, most mo- most black people in Harlem, you know, never heard of it, and if they did, it didn't raise their wages any, right? I mean, so and so, so but what we've got now, right, as as the black political class, and and I want to stress this point, hasn't been co-opted, bought off, sold out to uh, to the neoliberal agenda. They've been part of crafting it, right? I mean, they are in that class, right? I mean, it's not that 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 they were ever re- representatives of ours who got one to the other side. They they always were part of the other side, and they've been. Since the Voting Rights Act in 1965, the black new political class has been centrally instrumental in shaping uh, neoliberal, I mean, dispossession, right? I mean, not just, uh, but I'm not just trying to rationalize it to us. So, um, so they they all have an interest, right, in shifting our attention as black people who are expected to work for a living from the circumstances of of our lives to cheerleaders, right, in, in, in the stands for the accomplishments or to demand the accomplishments of people who claim to represent us, right, uh, who have no actual connection to any sort of popular working population. So, yeah. so no, but, but, but uh, uh, um, to go back to the direct point of your question, um, the, the, this, yes, is the answer, but it's like, that's part of the rationale. And it was a rationale that was before Obama, right? Like when uh, in racial transition in, in, uh, in urban government, like in the US, like in the early seventies, and I worked for a black mayor for a while. The, the line, uh, that they pushed uh, you know, to mobilize people to go out and vote and 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 elect them is, is that our holding office is the fulfillment of the promise of the movement and 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 we'll make your lives better. Well, then, as uh, the retrenchment um, was uh, um, uh, became the order of the day, when people would complain uh, about problems, you know, like public housing being killed and whatnot. The the standard uh, response from the black political um, from black uh, from black politicians basically was I I want to do more but but the power structure is is uh, holding me back yeah. and and they won't let me do it because I'm black and my son's yeah. I mean I agree with what you're saying that Obama made Trump possible but I also don't think it was entirely his fault. There were some angry racists out there. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, we are going to go so far now. How dare that black man? But I think we've really kind of come full circle in the way that really what I think I think you would agree with is the Audrey, Lo- Audrey Lord famous quote, the, the master's tools can never be used to dismantle the master's house. And I think that's the, the crux of it, really. Oh, Louise, do you want... 
sorry. But, but I'll say one more thing about the Obama thing, though. That, and it's like a crude, pragmatic calculation, right? If, 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 if electing the black guy is the big thing, right? And if we understand that there's a, a likelihood that because he's, he's the black guy, people won't let him do anything, then why fucking bother electing him anyway? Right, right. Because if the point is getting something from uh, from government, uh, the extension of this argument is that we would have been more likely to get stuff um, 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 from the nefarious Miss um, um, Clinton, right? Uh, then that's the way we should have gone, right? I mean, it's not like but well, again, it's not like um, um, star search or like American Idol where like we're voting for Obama on the TV set to be the number one, right? Like this is a pragmatic question, but yeah, I take your point. Mm. Sorry. I think I was kind of really saying, I think it almost seemed to be a conscious decision of his, but then sort of taking in what you said as someone who worked around him and stuff like that, maybe it wasn't a conscious decision of his to play down. He just was that, he was that centrist. No, I mean, he definitely was that. Well, he's never gonna do anything anyway because no. it's not his belief and that right. black skin people has assumed so yeah i completely get what you're saying um we're almost out of time louise is there anything you wanted to add i saw you nodding um a few times yeah i mean i, I, I actually wanted to go back to the, you know there's a couple of things that that was saying and i've just kind of like wrote my notes and, as usual okay so but i think you were saying something about you know your experiences on the doorstep okay and, you know, I, I, I think for me that actually, again, speaks to this idea of like, you know, why you can't, why you have to look at the, all the different aspects of your identity. Because like, you know, if you're blow, being blown around in the press as being this angry black woman, because like that's those old tropes um, that have just been kind of like consistently used as a way to sort of like, you know, shut us down. And I think, you know, people are using that as another for the, the negative form of identity politics, because you're speaking your mind. You're not necessarily be, you know, you're not saying it in any bad way, but people have taken that and they've twisted it. So, you know, like you, OK, you are a work, you, you are speaking about class, you are speaking about oppression and all this that and the other people are using that to shut you down. And they express, don't even get me started um, in terms of sort of like. You know the regional thing um, that um, Adolf was saying. I mean, to me, it was also sounding a bit like what's happened here with the red walls in in the north, because like you know those places were staunchly Labour. I was listening about Hartlepool today, forty-seven years of Labour, and then suddenly it's you know like it's it's wobbly now. It's looking very very wobbly with fifty percent of the vote looking towards going towards Boris Johnson. And I think this is again because like you know they're being made promises. You know. Build, you know, things like you using them little free word slogans like build back better and stuff so then people are buying people are buying that you know they're, they're buying it a bit like america make america great again you know that taps into people's psyche so they're, they're get brexit they're, done yeah, three words. Get, get, yeah get brexit <laughs> done and like, really you know really because like at the end of the day we've been in the eu for like 47 years do you think that you can just chop it like that so i, I mean i think i think that is the type of sort of like narrative that is being done and i do i do understand that you know people do you know i think people are kind of like looking for whichever party is going to feed them do you know what i mean because like if people can't eat 
on a day-to-day basis because I've in my lifetime I have never seen things this bad you know but if, if it's getting to that you know someone is selling to quote um I can't remember who it was that sung that song about um daddy's gonna buy your dream to cling to I shouldn't laugh at that saying but like it does kind of make me laugh but like it's almost like these people are being sold a dream to cling to but right. nothing is gonna happen do you know what I mean so I, I just think it's it's a lot it's a lot to do with that people are being sold dreams you know, like with three simple, three sim, three syllable kind of sayings and stuff like that. They're buying it and they're being sold a lie, you know? So Absolutely. But I think what Adolf said, sorry, it's just quickly, what Adolf said earlier is a good, good point. And this is the problem with hmm. the new Labour leadership. You are coming in offering that neoliberalism, blah, 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 blah. Work. And right now, people want right or left. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. They want to know you can do something the amount of abstentions that Keir Starmer is doing to the point of ridiculous. Mm. He's not making any decisions on anything at all. Aisha, quickly. Uh, like, uh, yeah, no, it was just um, uh, Louise saying that people haven't seen things this bad. And I'm actually, I'm old enough to remember when it was this bad and it was pre-New Labour when there were waiting lists and yeah. you know all of that stuff. Yeah. And I, and I, actually think that we are back there again but we have got a more compliant press so we're actually even more fucked um and also i think that um in terms of obviously when we're talking about the identity politics just to round it up on that uh i like the fact that a lot of the times adolf when you're talking about stuff you talk about the pragmatism and actually what do we want we want need material change and the only way to get it unfortunately is is it eating more shit? Oh, damn. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> but it feels a little bit like it is. And then, um, you know, not to get scatological about it, but it <laughs> seems like that's where, that's how I feel. And that's what I've taken anyway from listening to both of you guys who've been amazing. Yeah, the th- I think my question would be like, how much more shit have we got to eat in order to get there? Perfectly close, perfect, absolutely perfect. Brilliant. Well, nice I'm going to say one more thing about this, like, just to pick up on the last two points. The only way we're ever going to get out of this is through through building an independent working class anti-capitalist I mean political force right and and yeah you know, I don't mean like the sectarian Trotskyists who run around trying to sell a dumbass I mean newspapers and stuff I mean building a, a, a solid base of within the actual working class starting out from the trade union sector but but looking to mobilize, Working people, and one good thing um, that you brought up quite earlier, issue is what is the young people who you might have thought about as you know not being in the working class twenty years ago, but they are right. Right, right they are because and 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 not in a stable working class either. They're trying yeah. to piece together jobs and places to live and whatnot. And this is a base, but like, but 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 I think we don't need to sanctify. Shouldn't sanctify them as youth or some shit they're fucking working people right yeah and mm. and i mean so, so so i'm working on a project with a good friend of mine who's a brazilian american who's close um who was actually part of the founding of the workers party there and like we, we've been talking about this especially since bolsonaro that there's this that there's a cycle right where the left struggles to win more or less moderate more or less decent social democratic reforms but we can do it expand on it for a little bit till the capitalist class decides they've had enough of it 
and then I mean they liquidate it it uh, brutally, right? And my friend Bill's comment was, you know, this is a cycle. Like this is the problem with at at the heart of the social democratic idea, because this is a cycle that can go on till the sun burns out, right? Like unless there comes a time where there's no more capitalist class with the power to challenge us, that this is what the case is going to be. Uh, and and the only way we, we can know what, what the limits are of what we want and demand and can win is actually trying to organize as a broad uh, um, working class militant anti-capitalist front. So I'll, so, so I'll end on that note of sectarianism. I think that's a perfect way okay. to end it, actually. You've been wonderful guests. Can you both hang around and just do 10 questions? It takes 10 minutes. Sure. It's Aisha's Patreon show. Is yeah. that okay? I'm just going to say goodbye to our audience for Black Women's Hour, the main show. If you want to see the other show, you need to come and join us on Patreon. Thank you very much for watching. Bye.